Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. Mexico, it's celebrated for its breathtaking beaches, awe-inspiring ruins, and lively nightlife. But if you fancy a nicotine vape as a healthier alternative to smoking, Mexico is not for you. As of 2021, the importation and sale of nicotine vaping products is illegal, and in 2023, amendments to Mexico's tobacco law went into force, banning nicotine vaping in all smoke-free areas and public places, including hotels, beaches, and parks. Joining us today to discuss what many say is one of the world's strictest anti-vaping laws is Dr. Roberto Sussman, Senior Researcher in Theoretical Physics at the Institute of Nuclear Sciences at National University of Mexico, and member of VAPEO, a nonprofit association representing Mexican consumers of non-combustible nicotine products. Dr. Sussman, welcome back to Red Watch. Hi, Brent. Nice to be back with you again. So let's start with uh, the decree Mexican President Manuel Obrador signed in 2021 that made the importation and sale of e-cigarettes illegal. Roberto, was there a public consultation process that made that happen? No, no, there, there wasn't. Uh, I, I would like to put a little bit of historical context. Uh, vaping, uh, marketing, commercialization has been always banned in Mexico, always. But um, the Supreme Court in 2015 decreed that the prohibition was unconstitutional. Nevertheless, governments didn't care, they continued. And uh, around 2019, there were several law initiatives to regulate, because the political class in Mexico understands that regulation is better, because otherwise you lose revenue, black markets, things that we already know. So it was an effort, and there were several law initiatives. But in the end, the president, our president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, short, by short, we call him AMLO, that's the initials. AMLO issued a decree in 2020, the first decree. And nevertheless, the uh, the the uh, legislative activity continued on until they made a very bad glitch, which is something that I mentioned in a previous program. And so what happened is that uh, there was a desire to impose the presidential will on top of the legislative process because regulation has to be decided by the legislative power, by the houses of Congress in Mexico, not by the presidential power. And But here we have a combination that I might explain with a, with a bit more detail uh, on why it was, why it was, uh, there was no, there, there was an attempt to have an open parliament to discuss over several initiatives, but there was a vertical imposition by by the president, who was advised by the de facto health minister. That's another story. But to answer your direct question, no, it was an absolutely authoritarian vertical decision, and unfortunately, 
uh, our president is acting like this in many other issues, not only on rating. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people definitely in the West would have a problem with just a you know president signing a decree and all of a sudden making something illegal. He's not the king, for goodness sakes. Um, now, President Obrador said that vaping is harmful to human health and that vaping devices have been designed to appeal to young people. And he said that as he was signing the decree. Where is that kind of information coming from? Well, that information is everywhere globally. Uh, in fact, uh, Andres Manuel López Obrador doesn't know and doesn't care anything about vaping. He's an ex-smoker. Uh, but he doesn't care about this issue. This issue is irrelevant for him. But he's running a very vertical government. A lot of important decisions are made by him many times on his words, uh, completely disregarding any technical uh, problem, any technical obstacles. If he He's ruling by his whims, right? And he's a very popular president. Don't think that he's, he's acting like a dictator, but he has a lot of support, a lot of popular support. That's another issue. But anyway, uh, he as in all very authoritarian vertical structures, this authoritarianism uh, goes on at each level of the pyramid, right? So uh, the president completely gave license to uh, Dr. Hugo lopez Gatel, who is not officially the health secretary, he's a subsecretary, right? But she gave to this man, to this epidemiologist, who who was formed by in uh, in John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, he gave absolute authority over anything that has to do with health. Lopez Gatel is only accountable to Lopez Obrador. That's it. So Lopez Gatel uh, had a free license to impose the policy on vaping, and he follows the scripts written by a campaign for tobacco free kids and Bloomberg philanthropy, right? So that was the policy. And Lopez Obrador was convinced by them and he made that his personal policy. Like just to give you one example, suppose that Joe Biden, the American president, Let's suppose he doesn't like vaping. Let's suppose he thinks that's very bad. But would you consider Joe Biden or your prime minister Trudeau in Canada in an in, in a in a um, broadcast for millions of people to spend twenty minutes uh, reciting a script written by Bloomberg Philanthropy on vaping? And our president has done that. Even in international meetings, he takes this issue and he starts talking about vaping. So it has become a sort of obsession for the president, but also the president is using this as a scapegoat. Because when people tell him, what about the drug cartels? What about the health system in Mexico that is in such a bad shape? Then she say, yeah, but we are saving youth from vaping. So it is a combination of ignorance and political experience 
and the influence of lumber philanthropy in the man that is commissioned, that was, he, now he's gone. But for five, more than five years, Dr. Hugo lopez Gatel was completely in charge of the health sector. And this was one of his pet policies. We speculate that maybe he wanted to get a nice job in the WHO or somewhere in Bloomberg land, but th that's speculation. We really don't know. The fact is that this policy was implemented at the level of the law, right? Let's put that clear. This is the law. That doesn't mean that's the reality. Roberto, viewers may have noticed a little trouble with your speech. Could you tell us a bit about that? What happened there? Ah, yeah. Look, you can see that, for example, this side of my face moves, but this side moves much less. What happened is that uh, in the end of 2021, I had a very nasty tumor, a skin tumor that appeared here. And the message for everybody, it was a small thing, could have been removed by surgery. But I say it's a small thing, I'm very busy. It's a, no cancer is a small cancer. Please bear this in mind. So in two weeks, it grew along, along uh, behind the skin. It was growing and it reached this level. So I had to take 40 sessions of radiotherapy, several sessions of chemotherapy. It lasted three, four months, the treatment. And as the tumor progressed into my face, it destroyed the uh, facial nerves. These are the nerves that control the motion of your face. So uh, my whole face fell down. And uh, well, I, I had a major surgery and also I'm taking therapy. Unfortunately, the tumor is gone. So I might not be able to smile with a nice smile, right? But I'm alive, right? I'm alive. So th this is what happened, you know. <laughs> now, uh, so it was skin cancer, so I guess totally unrelated to vaping, correct? Absolutely. Look, um, I've been treating the same head oncologist and radio oncologist for more than 10 years because this is not the first skin cancer I have. I have several ones, a different severity and so on. So the oncologist always, uh, when I took my first tumor, I, I, I was a smoker, I, I smoked. They always insisted that I should quit smoking, quit smoking. But then I told the medic, the doctors, uh, please look at my lungs, my heart, my mouth, and tell me if you see any signals. And they never saw any signal of any damage that could have produced by my smoking. My smoking had produced already some irritation in my throat. And since I vape, I have nothing. And they have, I have been really, really revised medically. Every cell of my body has been revised. They never detected any problem with smoking or vaping. But then, you know, the, the oncologists don't like vaping. They always tell me, no, no, you should, you should not vape, you should not vape. Look, uh, the, uh, 
the New York Times said, or University of California said, and so on. But I'm, they are already my friends. These doctors, I, I know them, and they trust me. They know that I'm a scientist and so on. And I argue with them in friendly terms. I show them, I give them arguments and so on. And uh, they they still don't like waiting, but at least they have been informed about that. And they trust me because they know I'm a scientist. They know that I have research on these issues, that I know aerosol physics. And so uh, one of the doctors is even a bit enthusiastic, but keeps it privately because they are really uh, concerned that not to be identified as promoting dating or whatever. You know, this is uh, a global phenomenon here, right? So, but I, I was managed to establish a good connection with these doctors and also with other doctors, but so far it is kept privately. They are, they are not unwilling to go public. <laughs> Uh, for example, I asked if I could give a talk about the physics of the aerosols in the hospital. Say, no, 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 no. And, and they constantly receive talks and lectures from established tobacco controllers who, you know, say the same type of disinformation, and et cetera, et cetera. They are exposed to that constantly. And this, the hospitals regard this as, as, as the mainstream, as the establishment. As, and uh, so, the, but I managed to establish connection with them. Dr. Seussman, the ban on vaping in public places in Mexico, how stringent is that law? Well, on paper, <laughs> it's very stringent, but you know, the law, there, is, there are two processes. One process is the law, at the level of the Congress, right? Uh, and then there is uh, the details on how the law is going to be implemented, because you can say no smoking in the public, but you have to define what's a public place. So the regulation of the law is much more strict than what than the law that was actually approved. And this is partly the lobbying of some NGOs that are funded by Bloomberg Foundation and also by some bureaucrats of the uh, uh, Pan American Organization of Health. They are together. Uh, uh, they are around this uh, the, the uh, Lopez Gatel, this powerful minister, and uh, they modify. They, they they made the the regulations very strict. So it is extremely strict. But <laughs> see. Even in countries where law is enforced, like Australia or the United States or Canada, we already know that some laws uh, are simply not possible to implement, uh, not possible to enforce. And then, and it is really not enforced. Like, uh, let me give you an example. I work in the National University. It's a huge campus. It's maybe like, uh, I don't know, 10 square miles of territory, parks and buildings and so on. The law says that it's forbidden to smoke or vape. They, they don't mention the word vape. They say emissions, which is a stupid definition because cars are releasing emissions. But they mean emissions 
from nicotine products. And uh, it's forbidden in the whole campus, in the whole campus. Do you think this is done? It's not implemented. In my own institute, they have an area called smokers. or And uh, you can drive everywhere. And so, no, it's, it is not. And also, that's another important point. In Mexico, the Mexican law has a, a legal resource. It's a sort of habeas corpus where you can petition the courts and it can even go it can even go up to the Supreme Court. You can petition that a law that is violating your rights is not enforced on you. It's done individually, right? And so many people in Mexico has this type of habeas corpus. It's called amparo, right? And some restaurants, uh, for example, restaurants were forbidden to allow smoking anywhere. Only in some areas, and in those areas, you could not even get a glass of water. And the areas had to not to have any roof or wall or anything, you know. But many restaurants have fought that and have won. And many uh, they, they, uh, shop owners, vape owners, have also won this type of amparos. Because again, it's what I'm telling you. The political class is pragmatic for all parties, even the government's party. They are pragmatic. They know that uh, if what is written in the law, right, and reality are so different, then you have to do something. And uh, one of the reasons why this law is unenforceable is because uh, on top of the pyramid, here stands the president, bang, bang, and receiving a prize from the WHO, and then Lopez Gatel smiling and say, Yeah, we're saving the world, we're saving Mexico. But there is a line of command between them at the top and the bottom of the pyramid, because who's going to enforce this law? Inspectors, mid level, low level of, uh, government officials whose salaries are very low. And uh, they are not committed. They are not anti-vapers. They don't think that vaping or smoke, even smoking, is is fentanyl or is the, uh, uh, the menace from the Andromeda galaxy is going to... No, no, they don't believe that. So there is always arrangements at this lower level of enforcement between the, the, the shop owners, uh, the uh, vape shops, and restaurants, and all sorts of public, right? So it's this is one of the reasons, like Mr. Bloomberg thinks that Mexico is some type of California or some type of Australia, that just to put the law and it's going to be enforced, but it's not like that. And look, Mr. Bloomberg might be an arrogant guy or whatever you want to call him, but he's not stupid. He knows that, but he also knows that is beyond his power to change that because to make Mexico a two enforcement country requires decades of political activity by the civil society. It's not Bloomberg in his office decreeing and sending lots of money. That's not going to change things, right? So again, this is why the law is not enforced. The law is not really enforced. However, there is a catch here. Um, 
Uh, the police in Mexico tend to be sometimes very predatory. And, uh, and the police is also not very professional and so on. So there has been cases where police uh, the police have harassed, uh, but it is young and poor people. Somebody, a poor guy, uh, lower class is vaping, and policemen might come. The same policemen do not know very well the details of the regulation, but just to to extort the person. That, that might happen also. But the main problem in Mexico, and I wonder if you would like me to uh, speak about that, or if that's a question you have in mind, is the nature of the black market, because that's very warm. Yeah, for sure. And before we do that, then, talk about the availability of product. Can you get devices and flavors and e-juice as easy as you did before the laws came into effect? Yeah. Uh, well, there has been some disruption on the distribution chain, obviously, because, see, the way these prohibitions work is that at the moment they are enacted, then the ah, we're saving Mexico, and there is a lot of activity by, by the uh, inspectors and so on. So, Several shops are closed and uh, there is some harassment, but there is a fatigue to that. There comes a point where you return to the to the equilibrium that I described before and so on. So basically the answer is yes, we, I, I can get practically every device, every e-liquid, there are Mexican e-liquids that are quite good. <laughs> and um, some shops have learned how, you know, People, uh, when you have a prohibition, the, the the people that supply the product adapt. So they adapt their store so that it doesn't look like a vaping store and they have arrangements with inspectors and so on. So yes, we can still get a lot. Now, maybe tomorrow the president will say, oh, well, the, the war on vaping, we save the kids and so on and so on. And there will be some frenzy of movement for a few weeks, and then it will decay again. So, yes, we can get everything. See, I have my vaping devices here that I bought in Mexico, and I have very nice liquids and so on. Uh, but there is there is a but always. The situation is not exactly the same as, let's say, four years ago. Why? because we have now a massive invasion of disposables, right? Disposables. Now, uh, typically in Mexico, we have a gray market. It's an informal market. It's illegal, but it's not criminal, and it's semi-legal and so on. And it was made of small merchants, the vape, owner, the vape shop owners are small merchants, small etc. It was in a small level. Now, this distribution network, the way I'm describing before, is completely unable to supply the vast amount of disposables that are found in Mexico. So who is doing it? Who is doing it? We don't know. I don't know. Because the whole thing is illegal, so there is no research on that. There is no, if there is some research or some investigation on that, it's not public. But 
answer, I can answer myself. Who is doing that? Well, it's doing the black market, but it's not the informal market. It's a criminal market, right? It's doing it. And uh, and then we have, uh, well, I'm a, I'm a veteran labor, so, and I am a middle-class person, so I buy in stores that I trust. But you have no idea how many people are now buying cheap disposables, uh, rejects from the Chinese industry that are smuggled into Mexico. And now we don't know what people are vaping, right? Uh, I think it's a, a lot of low quality products and uh, that's a problem. Dr. Seussman, you attended the Global Forum on Nicotine this past summer where you delivered the Michael Russell Oration. Dr. Russell was a British psychologist who famously advanced the idea that, quote, it's not the nicotine that kills half of all long-term smokers, it's the delivery mechanism. And he did this in his 1991 paper titled The Future of Nicotine Replacement. Dr. Seussman, what was your key message at GFN 23? My, uh, my, my contribution to First, I'm a consumer, so I'm tuned into that because I'm a former smoker. I still smoke occasionally, but I'm now a vapor and I felt the effects on my throat, etc. So this is one angle. But another angle is that what Michael Russell said is now put in doubt by the WHO, by a lot of uh, academics that publish research in uh, on the aerosol or on health effects and so on. So I told myself, as a scientist, I, I would like to strengthen the science behind what Michael Russell said. Because what Michael Russell is saying is that when you smoke, you get into your body a substance called nicotine, which what she said is that the nicotine is not the cause of all the diseases, etc. It is the, the delivery mechanism, which is, uh, is tobacco smoke, which is also an aerosol, but it's a very chemically complex and toxic aerosol produced by combustion. And well, these things I know, because I am familiar with thermodynamics, with fluid dynamics, with aerosol physics. I'm familiar with that. And, uh, and so I told myself, I, I would like to reinforce what Michael Russell said in in a very in a very rigorous scientific way, because I am a scientist, I'm I work in hard science. I'm subjected to constant scrutiny, and I have to defend my research in a in a very hard peer review environment. It's not like in public health where if you agree with a political agenda, you can publish all sorts of rubbish and it will be published easily. That's not the case in theoretical physics. Theoretical physics were trained to disrupt the current science, the current opinions, but to disrupt them, you have to do it very well, otherwise you are not taken seriously. So I want I would like to see this level of rigor, this level, of a, of a peer review and revision in, in the science that deals with vaping and with smoking, right? Dr. Sisman, since 2020, you have published six papers on e-cigarette aerosols, three of them during COVID, 
dealing with the possibility of virus transmission through environmental vapor, and three are extensive reviews of the literature analyzing emissions, each one focusing on specific toxicants, metals, organic byproducts, and one on heated tobacco products. Dr. Sussman, tell us more about this research you've been doing. Well, I would add that uh, we also look, in order to see if the rating, the exhale rating, the environmental rating can transmit pathogens, you also have to see how toxic it is. You also have to see how much of a pollutant this, this uh, uh, aerosol is. So we researched all that. We, we showed that as a polluting agent, exhale vapor is extremely weak. May, it is comparable. You know, if you compare them with tobacco, uh, secondhand tobacco, tobacco, environmental tobacco, that, 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 that's absolutely obscene to compare it with that. It's a, it's a non-comparison. It is overkill. You have to compare it with many household aerosols that we are constantly exposed, like sprays, like kitchen aerosols, and some kitchen aerosols are quite nasty. But with um, with the carpets and with, with inner pollution, inner pollution it has a lot of aerosols around. And they think it's, uh, it's comparable to these aerosols that we deal with them in everyday life. But vaping has an vaping is intermittent. The exposure times are very small because it disperses and evaporates, right? Pollution, for example, uh, even indoor pollution, you cannot switch it off. It's all the time there. So even if the levels are lower, you're exposed to them all the time. Vaping, you're exposed to them only when you exhale because there is no... Uh, transversal, there is no side stream emission. With cigarettes, it's different. Because with cigarettes, 80% of the environmental emission is produced by the burning tip of the cigarette, right? That's a continuous emission. The, when the smoker exhales, it's only 20% of the environment. But also, the chemistry is very important because tobacco smoke is made by non-volatile, mostly semi-volatile, non that is, it doesn't evaporate. It stays there. It stays there. There are very small particles. The gases all the gases evaporate. The gases move away. But the particles stay and they stay for a long time, right? So even if smoking is also intermittent, secondhand smoke is not intermittent, it's permanent. But that doesn't happen with vaping, right? So we explore that and we show that the transmission of a virus, it is, it is not impossible because it's a respiratory activity. So you can, through vaping, exhale viruses. But the amount of viruses that you are going to exhale in vaping, it is minimal. The maximal contribution to the environmental quantity of virus would be 1% on top of what is already there by breathing, right? So it's insignificant. We, and that's why I'm also going to publish a, a material on environmental vaping because I don't want that uh, suddenly we're not going to be able to vape here and there because they're going to, 
to, to think that we are poisoning people. That's not true. We should not allow tobacco control to treat vaping as they treated smoking, right? And this is, for me, a very important issue. Well, I think it's important to everybody that's concerned about uh, access to safer alternatives uh, to smoking. Let me ask you this, Dr. Seussman. What's your assessment of the World Health Organization's impact on your country? <laughs> well, you see, the uh, World Health Organization has a lot of authority, right? Recently, because of COVID, people are, uh, people, I mean, even the political class are starting to think that uh, WHO doesn't always uh, hit the, it uh, gives a good mark, right? And so, uh, but nevertheless, for health bureaucrats, the health bureaucrats relate to the WHO as if you go to a small town and the Catholic priest will relate to the Pope, you know, to the Vatican. And so it's a source of authority, but it has been captured by private interest. Like if you look at the funding of the WHO, a large share of it comes from uh, philanthropists like Bloomberg, Gates, etc., or private institutions or special issue institutions. And um, the WHO has to respond to them. It's a political organization. This is what people have to understand. It is partly scientific, but it is also partly, and perhaps most important, it's a political organization. Now, in the case of Mexico and other Latin American countries and middle-income, lower-income countries, the the bureaucrats, the health bureaucrats, are completely attuned to the WHO. And um, some of them, uh, maybe the high-ranking ones, are even dreaming to have a job you know, you are in Geneva, you are, you have diplomatic status and so on. So it's also jobs for the boys, right? And in Mexico, you know, the WHO is uh, revealed and so on. And in the latest um, administration, the present administration, it is, uh, the, you know, the scuttering of uh, uh, the NGOs and lopez Gatel. And, and some academic, some medic, medics around them, they are in close contact with the with the officials of the Pan American Health Organization, and they determine policy. And you know that uh, for them, it's um, that's the way it is. It's no discussion, no argument, and uh, and again, we what we see in the WHO is how a global technocracy that has become used to dealing with the problem of smoking. They have their own methods. They have built their careers there, their reputations for decades. And suddenly a disruptive technology comes and, uh, and these people simply don't know what to do. Even assuming that they have no bad intention, that they are absolutely not corrupt. It is simply a pro problem of disruption. And this is why electronic cigarettes and tobacco harm reduction products will have will will have difficulties in Mexico. is just even worse than in other countries. And also, I think that this narrative of the tobacco wars 
uh, it's an obsolete narrative because the tobacco industry today is not the same as in the 1980s. In the 1980s, it was a real epopeical quest, a real battle against the tobacco industry waged by medics, by by medics, uh, you know, it was really David against Goliath, right? But now that David has become a Goliath as well, right? So who is being harmed? Uh, they have been practicing a certain policy to address smoking, but who has been affected in this? The tobacco industry is okay. They are like Johnny Walker. They, they are okay. They, they have not been harmed. Tobacco industries is buoyant, and the tobacco industry is also moving towards harm reduction. And who has been harmed? The consumers, people who smoke, and now people who vape. We are the real, uh, they say, oh, we battle the industry, we save the world from evil, whatever. No, they are damaging consumers. And they are holding to a narrative that is now obsolete. And, and I resent that because according to, to uh, institutions in my own country, they, they libel me, they slander me, they say that I'm, that I'm a tool of the tobacco industry when I've never received money from the tobacco industry. Okay, I talk to people from the tobacco industry, but that doesn't mean they have me in, in their pocket. That doesn't mean that I'm a stooge of them. They say, well, it's because you're promoting the interest of the tobacco industry, because the tobacco industry is selling these products and you are also promoting them, so you favor their interest. You know what I say that? During Nazi Germany, the Nazis were the worst, the most horrible regime in history. The Nazis were promoting cyclism. It's true. They were promoting cyclism. So if you are promoting that people go into their bicycles and become cyclists, does that make you a Nazi? Of course not. So all these rhetorical arguments are arguments of a technocracy that is seeing how the floor moves below them. And the more aggressive they are, the more they show that they are afraid. Because in the end, in the end, see, in the end, who makes these things? Not Philip Morris, not British American Tobacco, Chinese industries, right? And the Chinese vaping industries are regulated under the Chinese government. And at one point, the Chinese government or combination of them and other industries and even the political class will realize that it's a fantastic business to transform 1.1 billion smokers to make them migrate into this. If you sell them, that's a fantastic business. And I think that in the end, this pragmatic approach will defeat the Puritanism.